Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity once again to um, open your word. And I thank you for the privilege and the responsibility of doing that here at Ephesus Baptist Church this morning. I do thank you for this body of believers. I thank you for the worship that has already taken place. Uh, I thank you, Father, uh, for so many things. Uh, we, we pray this morning for uh, Pastor David and for Jennifer as uh, he's um, dealing with the, the dental things going on. And we pray for his recovery. And we ask your blessing upon he and Jennifer and, and their ministry here. And I pray, Father, for the upcoming Vacation Bible School here at Ephesus that you might bless it and bless those who are uh, working on, on it, working toward it, that you might uh, use that week of uh, children coming and going to, to impact their lives for eternity. And I ask that uh, you would bless them. Father, we come to your word now, and it is a text that we can, I think, probably all identify with to some degree or another. And I pray that if not, then we'll be able to, by the end of this this time together. As it was sung earlier, I pray that you, our King, would take joy, not simply in what I say, because I want them to be your words, but I pray that you will be pleased by what you see, what you hear, and what you know is going on in our lives. And most of all, I pray that you would be pleased by our response to your word here this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is my, my honor to pinch it for David this morning. Um, I got the, the, the news to... Could you be here about 7.15 this morning? So, uh, I'm going to put that down just a little bit. Um, so, it, it is my privilege to be here. I'm glad to do it. Do we have any graduates here today? No graduates. Anyone at a graduation this week? Yeah. We probably all know somebody or or, 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 or were there. We don't have any graduates. I have kind of a graduation theme here for the sermon today. Why don't you turn with me in your Bible to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. When I think about graduation day and how a, a, a text of, of Scripture, a passage that maybe can apply not just to graduates, but to all of us. Maybe you know of a graduate you need to challenge. Uh, maybe you, you know of a, a recent graduate that, that needs the Word of God. We all need the Word of God. This is a text that comes to my mind. Uh, my, as my Facebook timeline has been filled with pictures of young men and women graduating these past couple of days. It's a big milestone in their lives as they commence from one era of life to another and of course, we rejoice in, in those accomplishments. We eagerly await what God does with those young men and women next. But we come to a, a not a, a like situation, but sort of a similar situation in Joshua chapter 1. And I'm going to read the first nine verses if you'll read along with me. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord that the Lord spoke to Joshua the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, 
just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun, will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Graduation is not the end of education. It's not the end of learning. It's not the end of pursuing excellence. And I hope that we are all continuing to do that. Rather, we graduated 23 years ago like me or 23 hours ago like some others or maybe a little longer. The only thing graduation might end is your time at a particular institution. Graduation is not a a mark of an end it is more a mark of transition than anything else it is the end of one thing but the beginning of another and as I I thought about what I might say here this morning this passage again it came to mind because the descendants of Abraham Isaac and Jacob had been enslaved by the Egyptians for four centuries they were forced to do hard labor which Pharaoh forced them to do He, he wanted to keep them in subjugation he ordered their male children to be cast into the Nile River to keep the their population under control so that you know it, according to him you know they did, he didn't want them to rise up against them so god called moses and we're probably most of us are familiar with how god called moses with the burning bush he called moses to deliver his people and moses did they made the exodus out of Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea, and God called Moses to lead His chosen nation Israel as He gave them the Ten Commandments, and He gave them the rest of the law. And He guided them through the wilderness for 40 years as He provided food for them, He provided water for them, and He delivered them more than once from the threat of enemies who wanted to take them out. But in Deuteronomy 34... When Moses goes up to Mount Nebo overlooking the Jordan River, and on the other side of the river is the land God has promised to give the sons of Israel, Moses dies there. And the loss of Moses' leadership was incalculable to the nation of Israel. Deuteronomy 34 verse 10 says that since that time no prophet had arisen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. So the question becomes, what would Israel do now? Well, beloved, God does not leave His people hanging. 
And God did not leave Israel hanging because He, through Moses, had already established Joshua, the son of Nun, to succeed him in leading Israel. Joshua would be the one to lead God's people into the promised land. It had been Joshua who, if you recall, along with Caleb and ten others, had gone into that land already. Some years before, they'd gone into that land. Numbers chapter 13 is where we find this. And while the other ten spies did not trust in the Lord, and they gave a bad report, you know, they're, they're huge, they're giants, there's no way we'll beat them. It was Joshua and Caleb who said, Israel should take possession of the land because God will give it into our hands. And of course, if you know your Old Testament history, you know that the people sided with the ten spies and they did not go into the land and so they had to go into the wilderness for all that time. And, well, that, that's what happens when we make bad choices. That's what happens when we don't trust God. We have to reap the consequences of those choices. And in that time... Joshua seems to have turned into an apprentice of sorts under Moses. And in chapter 27 of Numbers, Moses asked the Lord for a successor. Moses knows by this point he's not going to go into the land himself. So appoint a successor, please, Lord, for me. And God gives him Joshua. Moses did not want his people to be like sheep without a shepherd. That's the phrase that is used. So he asked the Lord and God appoints Joshua. And at 120 years old, after leading Israel for 40 years, Moses dies. And that, beloved, is where we pick up in Joshua chapter 1 this morning. And it's where I hope we're going to be encouraged ourselves. I want you to see first in this passage the continuity of God's faithfulness. The continuity of God's faithfulness. You know, There's an old saying in the sports world that nobody wants to be the guy who replaces a legend. You don't want to be the one who comes in to replace a legend. You want to be the guy who replaces the guy who replaced the legend. Because usually the guy right after the legend is the one who kind of gets burned by fans and and whatnot. And I, I can identify with that because I'm a Carolina fan. Okay, I wore my Carolina tie, my Carolina colors this morning. Uh, I'm still relishing in the national championship from April. I, on my phone, my wallpaper is the Sports Illustrated from where Kennedy Meeks is blocking that shot at the end. I'm still pretty happy about that. But at Carolina, Dean Smith is a legend. Okay, and and, and so he led them from 1961 to 1997 for 36 seasons. He won. Two national championships. He he won a bunch of ACC titles, and when he retired twenty years ago, he was the winningest coach that had ever been. Okay, and in the years immediately following his retirement, Carolina, if you if you if you remember like me, they had a degree of success. They went to a couple of Final Fours with the the coach that was kind of put in place as a transitional leader. But recruiting fell off, and then the bottom kind of fell out. There was a year where we went eight and twenty, and it was just horrific. And uh, there, you know, there was a, a couple of coaches in there, transitional coaches, and then the guy after two guys was Roy Williams. And three championships later, I'm pretty happy, and he's generally considered one of the best in the country. Well, I say all that to say Joshua didn't have the benefit of being able to come in and repair the disarray of someone else's leadership. He was coming in after Moses. Okay? Uh, Even better than Dean Smith. Moses. 
Uh, he was the guy replacing the legend. He had enormous sandals, uh, if you have it to feel. Uh, he was succeeding Moses, and he would have to do so immediately. And, and, you know, Moses had not relied on his own strength. Moses didn't depend on his own wits and abilities, his own cleverness, his own strategic thinking. In fact, when God called him at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, he tried to duck out of it. You remember, you know, I, I, I'm not good at talking, God. But, you know, find somebody else. But God said, you're the man. You're the one. God's the one in charge. So he would live and lead by God's power. And, and Moses' leadership in Israel was marked by faithfulness in almost every instance. Almost every instance. And Joshua would have to follow that. He would have to trust in the Lord. So verse 1 starts out, Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, and stop there because right there we see the story has not ended. Moses is dead, but God is not done working. The end of the Moses era was not the end of God working in Israel. The Lord Yahweh had spoken with Moses, but now He's going to speak to somebody else. And what did the Lord say? Moses, my servant, is dead. How would you like that on your tombstone? Now I can think of fewer things I'd like to see more than servant of the Lord on my, on my tombstone. But here is God's own testimony that Moses had been his servant. He's my servant, now he's dead. What a thing for us to strive for, beloved. If you've got no other ambition in life, it should be to be a servant of the Lord. The Lord's continued to Joshua. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them, to the sons of Israel. Now Deuteronomy 34 tells us, the sons of Israel wept in the plains of Moab for 30 days, but then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. And here in Joshua, we see the end of that mourning. The 30 days is over, and God tells Joshua, Arise. It's time to pick yourself off, up, it's time to pick yourself up off the ground. You know, God, you know, when, 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 when someone close to us passes away, we mourn. Uh, this week a relative of mine died. I, I wasn't able to make it to the funeral. It, uh, but we, we mourn the loss, but we don't wear the black armband forever. God tells His people to eventually, we got to rise up and keep pressing on because God wants us to keep serving Him. And don't mourn Moses anymore. Pick yourself up off the ground. Dust yourself off because I am, I am, and I am not done with you. It's time to go. It's time to keep going according to God's plan. And so he gave orders to Joshua, cross the river. Go where I am telling you to go. Do what I am telling you to do. It may not be easy. It may be very hard. But I am with you. I am giving you power. I am telling you what is going to happen. Go. And note that. Because we too have been promised a land. It is a heavenly land. It is a new heaven and a new earth. It is a place that Jesus Himself is preparing for us. 
even today. And we are to go and keep serving God now because we don't know how far it is to that land for each and every one of us, but we know if we're in Christ, it is promised to us. God had already given them the land. You go back as far as Genesis chapter 12, Genesis 13, Genesis 15, and God promised this land to Abraham and his descendants. So God's faithfulness here was continuing from generation to generation, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to the twelve sons, now to Moses and now to Joshua. God remains faithful. So we see the continuity of God's faithfulness and now we see the extent of God's faithfulness. You know, if you take a look at your globe, you know, we don't have a lot of globes anymore in classrooms is what I'm finding out. It's all on a screen now. Not that that's a bad thing because globes become out of date right after they're made pretty much. But uh, if you take a look at a map, a globe, you see Israel, right? And how much space does Israel take up on any global map? Not a lot. You, you, you look at a map of what we call the Middle East and how much space on that map does Israel take up? Not a lot even of that. It's a tiny sliver nestled on the eastern shores of the Mediterranean Sea. But that is just part of the land God has promised to His people. If, we are, if you go back and you look again at this, you see that the promised land actually borders the Mediterranean Sea on the west. It extends south as far as the, the wilderness to the Nile of Egypt. It goes as far east as the, the, the Euphrates River and modern Iraq and to the north up into Lebanon. The closest Israel ever actually came to conquering all of that land was during the reigns of David and Solomon. But they still haven't ever had a part where they, they, they actually had all of that land. It will happen one day. It will happen one day. And the king will be named Jesus. But it would start here with Joshua, and who, whose name, by the way, means Yahweh, the Lord is salvation, just like Jesus. But God told him in verse 3, Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you. Joshua was the leader of a nation given an enormous inheritance. God's faithfulness from centuries past was now beginning to come to fruition and the abundance of God's blessing upon Joshua was evident. God's blessing, beloved, upon you and me this morning, if you're in Christ, is just as real. And when Abraham was told by God the land he was walking in and looking at would one day be the property of his descendants, you know, I bet it was hard for him to comprehend the enormity of that all, of it all. You know, today you and I, we, we pick up the newspaper, we look on the web at the, at the news sites, we, we turn on the evening news, and we see a world that is in more chaos by the day, the week, and the year. And it may be hard for some of us here on June 11, 2017 to fathom how this can happen, how the promises of God can really come to fruition in a world that is going headlong into judgment. Those are the times when we look at the faithfulness of God and we see how faithful He is. 
It's hard for us to fathom eternity. It's hard for us to fathom a new heaven and a new earth. But just like with Abraham, we have the promise. And the complete fulfillment of that promise is coming. Meanwhile, just like Israel suffered much, we suffer in this world. You know, I, 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 I'm thankful that here in our country, at least to this point, we are not seeing a lot of physical persecution for the gospel. Now, we've got brothers and sisters in other parts of the world who are meeting today or have met already today under the threat of imprisonment or worse. We've got it easy by comparison. But we, we do still suffer because if you live in a world filled with sin like we do, there's going to be suffering. And yet, what does Paul tell us in Romans 8.18? That the sufferings of this present are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to us. We in creation long, we eagerly await for the revelation of Jesus Christ. I wonder this morning, you're sitting here in a church pew and it's relatively comfortable in here, are you in this place of comfort longing for the revelation of Jesus Christ? If you're not, your priorities are out of whack. If you're not, then you haven't been completely truthful in singing some of the songs we've sung here this morning. And that happens to all of us because we all are sinners still. We, we still sin and our priorities are never fully right until we're in the presence of God. When we're fully removed from sin. But that's a challenge for us this morning to remember God's faithfulness and to long to see Him again. To long to see Jesus face to face. But in the meantime, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Knowing that just as Joshua was told that every place upon his, that his foot treads belongs to Israel, we, Romans 8.32, will inherit all things. Romans 8.32 says that we will inherit all things. What a wonderful promise that is. God is going to give us all things. If you trust in Jesus Christ, if you walk according to the Spirit, then God has promised He will freely give you all things. And our God keeps His promises. He is faithful. God told Moses what was going to happen with Joshua, and now God was telling Joshua what was going to happen with Joshua, and they were one and the same. I have promised you land, you are going to take the land. And of course, again, didn't mean it would always be easy. Jesus, uh, Joshua and the Israelites would face opposition along the way. God would give them into their hands. Uh, they, they, there would be a very real threat to them constantly. And they would also have to deal with their own shortcomings. It's not too far into the book of Joshua. We see them fail miserably because of the sin of a, a, a man named Achan. But thank God that as the hymn says, His grace is greater than our sin. God's grace is greater than our sin and the sins of others. God's faithfulness cannot be stopped. Verse 5, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. 
And sure enough, under Joshua's leadership, the nation of Israel conquered every people they came up against, even after Achan's sin. They conquered the people they came up against. And while we don't meet God face to face in the sense that Moses did, we have the same promise. In fact, believe it or not, beloved, we we have it better than Moses did. We actually have it better than Moses did because we who are the church are permanently indwelt by God Himself. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the eternal Trinity, intercedes for us, guides us, convicts us, He teaches us how to pray, He emboldens us, He guards us, He produces godly fruit through us because He is in us. And so as those who walked across the stage this weekend graduating prepare now for the next phase of life in which they will inevitably encounter uncertainty, and who among us in this room doesn't know about uncertainty? If you are a believer and if you have entrusted yourself to Jesus, take heart because the Holy Spirit is in you. The Holy Spirit of God is in you if you have given your life to Christ. And He is faithful. And just as He told Joshua, He will not fail you nor forsake you. And what's interesting about this is God is actually echoing the words of Moses who spoke those words to Joshua before all of Israel back in Deuteronomy 31. He said, The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. So here in Joshua 1, we see in part that God is telling Joshua words that Moses has already told Joshua. God would not fail him. God would not forsake him. God will not forsake us. The the New Testament echoes that promise. I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Hebrews 13 verse 5. And of course he won't. If we have been saved by His grace alone, through faith in His Son alone, to His glory alone. Beloved, we rejoice this morning at the extent of God's faithfulness, both to Joshua and to us. But let us not forsake the response to God's faithfulness. We must respond. If God is faithful to us, We must respond to His faithfulness. And here's the thing about it. It always demands a response. The faithfulness of God demanded Joshua respond and the nation of Israel respond. And today it demands it of us. You and me. Verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Note that that's not an option. That's an imperative sentence. Be strong and courageous. Why? For you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Notice some things here. First, God demanded something from Joshua, namely that he be strong and courageous. And he would no doubt be uh, faced with some situations most of us would cower and fear at. Joshua was to nevertheless be resolute in the face of overwhelming odds. Be resolute in the face of potential pain and suffering. But notice as well that God's command comes with a promise of success attached. You shall, you will give people possession of the land. 
God's commands comes with God's enabling. God's command, he, he gave Joshua a task, he gave Joshua the power to carry out the task. God would equip Joshua to be what he wanted him to be, just as he equips us through the Spirit to do good works, which he has prepared beforehand for us to do. Ephesians 2 verse 10. And don't let it go unnoticed that God, in giving this command to be strong and courageous, recalls His own promise to Israel's fathers. You know, part of God's empowering us to walk according to the Spirit is Him. He, he reminds us through His Word of all the things He's done before. If you look at Psalm 136, it's, Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His loving kindness endures forever. And that psalm is just a recitation of all the things God had done for Israel through the years. And praise the Lord as a result of that. He remembers what He says and He brings it to pass. And that ought to provide us with a great deal of comfort today. Because all of Scripture, you know, the promises of Scripture, a lot of them are yet to be completely fulfilled. And this world is, let's not sugarcoat it here, this world is not just hostile, hateful toward God. This week in the halls of, of Congress, we saw a, a nominee for a relatively obscure government position be castigated by a sitting U.S. Senator and former presidential candidate. Why? Simply because he holds to the exclusive claim of Jesus Christ for salvation. The Senator actually said people like this are not what America is about. And I don't get on this to harp on any one particular politician because that is the spirit of the age. It's not just in Congress. That's the spirit of the age where it's either apathy or outright hatred of the claims of Jesus Christ. And still, we're told, again, verse 7, Joshua was told, only be strong and courageous. Whenever you see repetition in Scripture, note that, because it means that God's wanting to make a point. Be careful to do all according to the law which Moses my servant commanded you and do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. Again, God is quoting Moses here. Moses had told Joshua in front of all Israel back in Deuteronomy 31, be strong and courageous. And now God is saying it again. But notice the end of verse 7. Don't, don't lose sight of an important fact. That God has tied obedience... To strength and courage. Don't overlook that. God has tied obedience to strength and courage. Why? Because it's impossible to be faithful to God if you don't do what He says. Because if you don't do what He says, it means that you are not trusting in Him for who He has revealed Himself to be. And who He has revealed Himself to be is the King of Kings we sung about earlier. The Lord of Lords. The Master of Masters. He says, we do. And that's all there is to it. Obedience is tied to strength and courage. So, 
what must he do? He must not depart from the right or the, to the right or to the left from what Moses commanded. You know, the easy thing is to do what we want to do. The easy thing is to gratify our own desires. The safe thing in this world is to not make a bold stand for truth, especially when it's going to cost us a relationship. You know, sometimes we make sacrifices for our paychecks. Sometimes we make sacrifices for for other things. It it gets really hard when being obedient might cost us a, a, a relationship. What do we do then? The strong and courageous thing to do is not to depart from the Word of God to the right or the left. The strong, courageous thing for all of us to do is obey what God has commanded us to not deviate from the path God has laid out for us. And lest you think we're incapable of doing that, remember God was simply telling Joshua to remember what he learned and live it out. Joshua learned from Moses. Hopefully you have learned from others. You're lear- hopefully you're learning even now through, through an imperfect speaker. I don't know. But hopefully we have all been and all are learning from others in the church who teach us about the Lord. Remember what you learn and live it out. And you'll realize what Joshua knew. That strength and courage come from faith in Christ. Well, he wouldn't have said the word Christ. But faith in Yahweh. Faith in the Lord. Verse 8 again, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. We get counsel from all sides. We're told, you should do this, you should do that. When we have questions about our course of life, usually we seek counsel when we... Nothing wrong with seeking counsel, but ultimately we have to go to the Word of God. He's already told us how to be prosperous, how to be successful. Don't let the Word of God depart from your mouth. Not your opinion, not the opinions of others, not the prevailing winds of the age, but the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient, God-breathed Word. Joshua's speech was to reflect the direct influence of God Himself, the direct influence of the book of the law, just as ours is to reflect the change that Jesus Christ has wrought in our lives by the Holy Spirit. The fruit of our lips and the thoughts of our minds and the meditations of our heart must be God-centered, Christ-centered, gospel-centered. If there were graduates here today, I would tell them, I'll just tell you, you'll receive no better advice as you matriculate from one stage of life to the next than to bathe yourself, to immerse yourself in a constant diet of the Bible. And doing that will guarantee you prosperity and success, and not by the world's standards but by God's standards. Look at, well, I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but toward the end of Joshua's life, Joshua chapter 24, verse 31. 
the end of Joshua. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua and had known all the deeds of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Why? Because he was strong and courageous and did not let the the Word of God depart. What a testimony that is. And now we know what comes later with the era of the judges. They forgot God. There was no king in Israel and they did what was right in their own eyes. But as for Joshua, verse 9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Our tendency is to follow God's Word until the going gets tough. And then we start to make little compromises. We start to make decisions about what parts of the Bible will keep us comfortable and what might bring us into conflict with the world, with other people. Do not depart from it to the right or to the left. Do not depart from it to the right or to the left. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. But if you depart from it to the right or to the left, don't expect God to go your way. He demands you go His way. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If you are here this morning, none of this applies to you unless the Spirit of God is in you. And the only way the Spirit of God is in you is if you have come to the end of yourself. You cannot enter the promised land on your own. Actually, the, the Israel had to miraculously cross the Jordan. You know, they came across the Red Sea because God parted it. God also had to part the Jordan River for them to enter into the, the promised land. You can't get there on your own power. But if you come to an end of yourself and you come repenting of your sins, turning away from your sins, wanting to follow Christ, accepting what He has done on the cross, bearing the penalty of sin for all who will ever believe, and then He rises on the third day to show death that death can't win, He gives eternal life, everlasting life to all who believe in Him. If you come to an end of yourself and you come to Christ like that, then the Lord will be with you wherever you are. Because He will be in you wherever you are. And you can do what He has told you to do. Until then, you're spitting in the wind. So come to Christ by His standards. Come to Christ on His terms You can't come on anyone else's terms. You can't come on your own terms. You have to come to Him as He tells you to. He's God. You're not. So I invite you, if if you in your heart realize, I can't do this because I'm not really following Him, then come follow Him. Disciples follow their Master. 
come and follow Him. And, and this morning, if you are His disciple, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Trust the Lord because He is with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Father, I ask that You might bless those in whom You are dwelling this morning by Your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, if there be any who don't know You, that You might blow into their lives even this morning and compel them to come to Your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.